This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. to our message for this week I, I did something a, a little different and I did it for a variety of reasons and, and you know how sometimes you can take things for granted it's, it's easy to take stuff that you know for granted and how many people here know John 3.16 we probably could all recite it from memory and it's no secret today I'll let you know our text is coming from John 3.16 and 17 and I learned from the Lord ministering to me with this message that sometimes it's good to go back and look at the things that you think you know because what you find sometimes in thinking that you know something is that you really don't know what you think you know. Amen? We all know what it says. But if you'll indulge me, I'll read it anyway. And I'm reading for the New King James Version of God's Holy Word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. As we speak this morning to the subject, the look of love. Amen. The look of love. I try not to do this because I was taught early in ministry that you don't put people on the spot. My pastor that was my overseer when I was learning the ways and means of protocol as it pertains to ministry said, one thing you never do in a sermon is you, you never ask a question and you never ask people to, to respond to your question because what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a trick bag and doing that. But you know what I found out? I found out that when you have a conviction for something, and when you have a passion for something and when you genuinely stand for something, you're going to proclaim that thing whether it's a million people around or whether there's nobody around. Amen. <coughs> so that being said, here's a question that I have for everybody here. And, and if you can, I want to show a hands or acknowledgement. How many people here in the sanctuary today have been in love before? Raise your hand. <coughs> been in love before. I'm talking just knocked over, head over heels, kicked in the butt by love. You don't know what to do in love before. Okay, you put your hands down. Next question I have for you. How many individuals that have professed to be in love before can people on the outside, by looking at you and the individual that you love, tell that you're in love? How many people? How many people? And here's why I ask the question. Because this is what I didn't understand about this passage of Scripture. It's easy to profess something. But what we fail to realize is that often when we profess or proclaim something, being an emotion, being a stand that we're taking, people don't go by what we say. They go by what they see. Amen. Amen. And so often we'll say, well, I love this person. I love that person. I love my job. I love my car. I love my dog. I love whatever it, whatever it is that you love. Yet if we take a moment to stop proclaiming that we love it, and a person 
that has heard you say that you love it just kind of stands back and watches how you treat it, watches how you care for it, watches what you do when you're in the presence of it, would they get the same feeling than if they heard what you said? See, love is an action word. And so many of us, me included, read this for what it says, not for what it does. So the subject of the look of love is about what this scripture does, not what it says. And God is calling us to do something in these last days. We look at what happened with Florence. We look at what's happening in D.C. We look at what's happening in Chicago. We look at what's happening to, to individuals in our own lives. Yet we profess that we love God, and in loving God, we have to love people. And it begs the question, well, what have we done to make a difference in the lives of those that are in need? Well, you may say, well, what's the standard by which I can measure that? Preacher, you're not saying anything that makes sense. Well, yeah, if I direct you back to what John 3:16 and 17 says, it says, for God so loved the world that, added by me, here's what he did. He took a piece of himself that volunteered to come to earth, put his deity down, wrapped it in flesh, sent it through a mother's womb, had it go through 33 years of being here on the earth, had it persecuted for something that it didn't do, allowed it to feel every iota of pain it could possibly feel, not for himself, but for us. All the way up to the point of six hours one Friday, he was impaled to a piece of wood between two thieves and mocked and scorned and ridiculed until he died. Then he was laid into a tomb that didn't even belong to him, and he was even persecuted after his death. And he did that for us. He didn't have to, but he did. So in one verse of 25 words, Jesus, in essence, explained his mission. Effective leaders know the importance of compressing the complex activities into an easily memorized sentence. And this, church, is a secret of good communication. God is calling us to make it short, simple, significant, but more importantly, and I, I hear people say this a lot, you know, about their relationships. They're like, we still got sizzling in our relationship. It's like, okay. Make, make it hot. And what do I, I, I mean when I say make it hot? Make it active. Make it something that people can see that if they came and, 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 and touched it in some way, shape, or form, or better yet, if it came and touched them, they would never be the same. How many lives have we touched that way? We all say we love God, right? We all say we love Jesus, right? So when's the last time we've touched someone's life and their life has never been the same? Our message today in these two verses is that we have to be an example of godly love to others. And you may say, well, how can I be an example of godly love to others we can do it in three ways and the first way is by giving your best at all times amen, amen. giving your best at all times there's a saying that I learned in college good better best I think it said never let it rest until your good is your better and your better is your best which means we should be in a constant state of striving to improve a constant state 
of desiring to get to the next level. A constant state of pushing the boundaries. Why? Because if we're constantly pushing the boundaries, we'll start hitting new realms that we've never even dreamed we could hit. The word tells us eyes have not seen, no ears heard, neither hasn't even entered into the hearts of those that love him, what God has prepared. God has so much for us, we can't even process the magnitude that God desires to use us, but he has to know that he can trust us with the power that he desires to give us. We've got to be willing to show him, God, I have a heart like yours. I have a heart that desires the best for my brothers and sisters, even if it means the worst for me. Because that's when we know that we can be used by God. But more importantly, that's when God knows that he can trust us. The son's mission here is bound up in the supreme love of God for the evil, sinful world of humanity that's in rebellion against him. In other words, God sent Jesus to come get us. Amen. This, this, this applies to all of us, but just for a moment, I want to speak to the, the ladies as it pertains to love. You know how in, in, in life, society portrays the whole premise of, of the one coming as a proverbial knight in shining armor. He's going to ride in on a horse, and he's going to jump down off the horse, and he's going to put you on the horse, and he's going to take off with you on the back of the horse, and the arrows are going to come your way, and he's going to have the shield to block all the arrows away. Conceptually, that's very true. In reality, love is work. But the payoff is, if we are willing to do the work that God has given us to do, in the proper mindset and heart set, understanding that the very things that we have to go through pale in comparison to what Christ had to go through, but we have the same payoff that's coming, it gives us the desire to step out of ourselves and be willing to accept the, the things that happen that grow us. Because as it pertains to sowing and reaping, and you all hear me talk about the principle of sowing and reaping all the time. Sowing and reaping 101 simply states, as I paraphrase, a seed can't say, stay in its state before it goes in the ground, after it goes in the ground, if it expects to bring forth a harvest. That seed has to be broken. It has to be disfigured. It has to be changed. It has to be expanded. Things have to change in its makeup. Love forces us to change. Love forces us to be expanded. Love forces us to be, to be deepened. Love forces, uh, forces us to be purified. It forces us to change. And the change is not about us. The change is about us being used to make a difference in the lives of others. The word so in verse 16, for God so loved the world, emphasizes the intensity or the greatness of God's love. The Father gave his unique and beloved Son to die on behalf of sinful men. The Bible says that he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Amen? There's a reason why it says that. And this is actually downloaded by directed for the Holy Spirit. It's interesting why men choose to buy their mates diamonds when they marry them. And the reason why is no matter where you go in the world, whether you go to South Africa and get one out of a mine, 
whether you go to Southern California and get one out of a laboratory, no two diamonds are exactly the same. And there's a reason that no two diamonds are exactly the same. No two diamonds are exactly the same because in order for a diamond to be created, a diamond is first a piece of coal. And that piece of coal is taken through the pressures and the rigors of the shifting of land on top of it and the shifting of the elements around it, so much so that it's bumped and it's bruised and it's battered and all the impurities are cleared away so that when it's done, that unique piece of rock is there and that piece of rock is hewn out of that out of that big piece of rock is hewn a much smaller one that's put into a setting and given to someone as a token and show of affection. So when a person gives, when a man gives a woman a ring like that, he's letting her know not only that do I love you, but I find you to truly be one of a kind. There's nobody else in the world like you. If my baby had a twin sister and somebody married her twin sister, they still wouldn't have her because she's one of a kind. Now think about that for a minute. God loved each and every one of us so much that he didn't even think, because remember, he's God. He could have made another one of us just like us, but God can't go back on his word because the word tells us that each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, which means God took great thought and care in creating each and every one of us. But he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for each and every one of us. He didn't want any of us left behind. Forget about no, no, no child left behind. He didn't want any of his children left behind in our generation, in the 42 plus behind us, in however many more left after us. He didn't want any of us to be left behind. So he loved us so much that he took the most unique and rare and precious stone that could ever be given to anybody and caused him to go through the pressures of death through crucifixion so that he could present him back to us as our Savior. Why? Because he loves us. And when you stop and think about that, a diamond that brilliant, you have no choice but to notice it. You've seen people walking around with rocks on their hand. You can see them coming like a half a mile before they get there. Think about the brilliance of the stone that the builders rejected that the Lord put through the rigors of crucifixion and resurrection to give to us as a token of love that's so brilliant that it shined throughout countless generations. It's so brilliant that the word tells us to let, let our light so shine that comes from him before men that men would see his good works and not glorify us, but give God glory. God loved us so much that he gave us something that precious so that we could exude the look of love unhindered so that we could give our very best at all times. Because if you see something like that sitting in front of you, if you see something like that sitting on your hand, if you see something like that in your life, if you see a light like that constantly around you, that should motivate you to want to give your very best. Like I said, to, to the point to where your good becomes better and your better becomes your best. Because if God cared enough to send us the very best, how dare we not give God any less than our very best? So in the same way, God is commanding us to share the same one-of-a-kind love that he gave to us with others. He's calling us to do something, church. He's not calling us to sit back and, and, and just bask in the glow of what he's given us. This love that he's given us, he's given it to us to give away. Love's not love until you what? Give it away. You can say you love somebody all you want, but if you're not showing them, 
Speak First Corinthians puts it this way. If I speak in the tongue of, of men and of angels and I have not love, I'm nothing more than a sounding breath, a tinkling cymbal. You all know what that is in layman's terms, right? That's noise. You know the difference between music and noise? <laughs> right. Purpose, rhyme, and reason. The tuning comes from understanding that there's a purpose behind what we're doing with this piece of music. The rhyme and reason come because the individuals that are talented to play each individual instrument are taking the time to find how those instruments interrelate to one another so that they together make chords that are pleasing to the ear. But when it's all about you, 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 and I'm saying I love you, I love you, but I'm doing all I can to take from you, and you're saying you love me, you love me, and you're doing all you can to take from me, guess what? In God's ears, that's the noise that this world is functioning in right now. Nobody's even aspiring to be good, much less better or best. We're all trying to get what's ours. God didn't create it to be that way. He gifted and talented each of us to function in a way so that together we give him glory for what he's done for us. Which leads me to the second way that we can be an example of godly love to others, and that's by believing for the best at all times. See, it's one thing to give your best at all times, but like I said earlier, there has to be a payoff. You have to think that something's going to come from it. And I, I learned many years ago from my professor in my finance class in college, the difference between spent money and invested money is that with one, there's an expectation. With an investment, you're expecting a return on your investment. And God, really the principle in finance, that comes from God. Guess what? He's expecting a return on his investment. You know what his investment is? Us. We're the investment. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. I wouldn't change any word in the Bible if I were to exegete this a little bit. I would say God loved the world so much that he gave by investing his son into our lives. Expecting a return on his investment. Look at the parable of the talents. One man had five, one man had three, one man had one. They each were given their talents. The, the, the master went away and he told him, I need y'all to do something with these. The one that had five went out and did what he was supposed to do and came back with ten. The one with three went out and did what he was supposed to do and came back with five. The one with one said, look, I'm afraid. I'm just going to sit on this right here. And when he comes back, I'm going to give him back what he gave me. He was mad at that one. Why? He could have did that himself and not given it to him. But he gave it to him with the intent of him taking it and doing something with it. With the intent of him understanding and believing that there's a payoff if I do something with what I have. Love is an action word. And God fills us with his love to do something. Where would we be if God said, I love my children. I love my children so much. And they're going the wrong way. And he sees us going over the cliff. And he's like, I love them so much. And he does nothing to keep us from going over the cliff. What do you think is going to happen? He's going to love us right over the cliff. But God loved us enough to actually do something. He loved us enough to believe in us enough to invest. I'm going to invest my son into them. I'm going to give them another opportunity. I'm going to give them a second chance. Two is a number of witness. Devil, I'm going to show you. I want you to be a witness. And I'm going to make an open show, an example of you being a liar. I'm going to show you that with a second chance, they can and will get this thing right. 
That's what love is all about. It's about second chances, third chances, 10th chances, 100 chances, 70 times 7 chances. That's what love is all about. But far too many times we want to give a person a, a one chance and it's, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. Just, just shut the breaker down. It's a wrap. Sorry. You pick your check up in three weeks. Thank you for coming. If God treated us that way, where would we be? Bad shape. To say the least, Steve, bad shape. I'll help you say bad shape. Steve said bad shape. I'll tell you what. A preacher used to say one time we were talking about heaven and hell that there's a red door and a black door. You don't want God saying step over that red door. They'll be with you in a moment. That's not what you want. But so many of us treat our brothers and our sisters that way because we want to give up on them. We want to write them off. He's an addict. There's no good that's going to come out of him. She's, she's, she's a prostitute. There's no good that's going to come out of her. That child is going to be no good. Folks, we have to understand that the words we say form the world that we live in. And if we continue to confess those things, what do you think we're going to get? But I submit a different way to you. The Father's love for us is truly unconditional. And this is born out of the actions of his son, Jesus, on our behalf. The love of Christ literally acts out the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which I alluded to earlier, that I allude to here. And it states that love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, and it stands as a tried and true example of the unconditional and unwavering nature of God's love for us. Which in plain English means we can mess up the absolute worst we could ever think to mess up in our lives in 10 lifetimes. We could mess up to the point that nobody here on earth wants to forgive us. But if we go to our Father in sincere repentance and say, Lord, I'm sorry. He loves us enough to forgive us, to restore us, to forget about what was done. And to pick us up and dust us off and put us back on the track that he had us on. If that's not love, I don't know what love is. Yet far too many of us want to give up on somebody the first time they mess up. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm not going to talk to him for three months. He burned my dinner up. I'm sorry. What? Can you go out and buy something? Here's a thought. Can you make something? Perhaps he or she was engrossed in something else. It's called being human. But far too many of us in the midst of our humanity forget that one another are human and we just automatically want to make a, a, a broad stroke condemnation of them. But my Bible tells me that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we don't walk after this. We don't walk after our flesh. Because we walk after our flesh, our flesh, has, our flesh has us doing stuff that we, we don't need to be doing. And we don't need to be doing it not only because it's wrong, but here again, love is designed to do the very best and to give the very best to the one that's being loved, even if it means the very worst for the one that's doing the loving. The reason why a person would position themselves to take on the worst for the best of somebody else is because they see something in that individual. They see something in that individual that's greater than themselves. They see something in that individual that if the world just got a glimpse of what I see, they would understand why I love them the way that I do. If the world just got a taste of how wonderful this individual is, they would see and the world would really be a better place. It doesn't mean that that person's going to get it right every single time. We all wake up on the wrong side of the bed and heck, some days we wake up and the bed is on us. 
But the reality of the situation is, in the midst of where we are, God still hasn't given up on us. So if God hasn't given up on us, how dare we give up on ourselves? Steve, I know you saw it, but I, I posted something on Facebook about a week, week and a half ago. When we throw in the towel, guess what God does? He throws the towel back at us. Why? If you follow boxing, when you throw in the towel, that means I give up, right? We throw in a towel in life, we say, God, we give up. God hits us in the face with a towel. No, you're not giving up because I've not given up on you. So if I've not given up on you, how dare you give up on yourself? Because the word tells us just how much God loves us. The word tells us right here in verse 17, well, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In other words, God didn't raise up no quitters. He didn't create us to quit. Quit is a four, you, you, I gotta make sure, yeah, okay. Quit's a four letter word. Quit's a four letter word that should not be in our vocabulary. Jesus didn't quit. God doesn't quit on us. So who are we to quit on God? And love means that we never, ever quit. Love is ongoing. When I look at this passage of scripture, and I look at it from a, a, a hermeneutical perspective, in plain English, look at it from the standpoint of the tense it's written in, if I were going to preach it, it's written in a tense that's called the aortist imperative. Aortist imperative. Aortist is from a Greek word from which we get the English word aorta, which is the main artery that runs to the heart. Which means if the aorta is severed, guess what? Unless the Lord intervenes, it's a wrap. Because the life of the flesh, the word says, is in the blood. And if the means to get the life to the flesh is severed and the blood is not getting there, guess what happens to the flesh? The flesh dies. So this particular passage of scripture is written in the aortist imperative tense. Meaning, this passage of scripture is some of the life blood that we need spiritually to continue to function and to continue to survive. And one of the primary nutrients in that life blood is the, is the understanding that true love never, never, ever, ever quits. It continues to believe in the very best. It continues to understand that everything that we do, good, bad, or indifferent, is an investment into our eternal life. Because like in the parable, the master is going to come back for us and he's going to ask us two questions. What did you do with my son, which is salvation? And what did you do with what I gave you, which is a means to make a difference? And love is the driving force that keeps us praying for those that, don't, that say don't pray for us. Love is the driving force that keeps us sowing into those that keep throwing the seed back at us. Love is the driving force that keeps us believing in and for the best for those that want the worst for us. Think about it. When Jesus was about to have stakes driven through his wrists, Jesus didn't get up and say, I'll show you what pain is. No, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. Jesus understood that even though they're about to cause me mortal damage, I still believe in them to the point that because they don't understand what they're doing, there's still hope that their lives can be changed. That's the look that God is looking for in love. God's not looking for the puppy dog eyes. He's not looking for the butterflies in your stomach. He's looking for what are you going to do to make a difference in someone's life? What are you going to do 
to help someone that's given up on themselves, not only give up, give up on themselves, but not give up on God. What are you going to do to make a difference in somebody's life so that these nutrients can get to their spirit, so that their spirit can be made healthy? So as joint heirs of the promise of God through Jesus Christ, what we have to do also is believe what 1 Corinthians goes on to say in that passage. Remember I said love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. We have to believe what that piece of scripture ends with, that love never fails. Amen? No matter what it is we're facing, love never fails. It may not look like we got victory today, but we're going to go out and play again tomorrow. People talk about baseball. I love baseball. Some people can't stand it. You know why they can't stand this thing? Yeah, well, besides that. <laughs> Season's too long. It's 162 games. People start getting ready to play baseball in February. And if you're the best of the best, you don't finish until usually the first week in November. That's a long time. But guess what? True greatness in God takes that investment of time. You know why the players, after they've been hit by a 100-mile-an-hour pitch, uh, in the side of the head in June, come back in July? Because they all want to be standing there with that trophy in November, saying that they're the best of the best. And they believe that they have the talent around them to do that. They're doing it on a guess. We're doing it on a note because we already know who we serve. The Bible tells us, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible tells us, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. The Bible tells us we're more than conquerors through him that loves us. We're on the winning side. So if we get drilled with a pitch by the enemy here, if we get tripped up and fall in the pitfall there, if we have a bad day here, we need to keep coming back because victory is ours and it takes time to get to that point. We've got to believe in the payoff. <laughs> which leads me to my last point and then I'm done. Not only must we give our best at all times, and believe for the best at all times. But most importantly, we've got to expect the best in every situation. Now, there's a difference between believing for the best at all times and expecting it. Believing it is from an I think standpoint, and expecting it is from an I know standpoint, because we've done everything that we need to do. My grandmother said there were four things I need to know how to do before I left home. She said, I need to know how to cook, I need to know how to sew, I need to know how to wash, and I need to know how to iron. She said, she said that I had those are absolute. You had to know these things, period. If y'all ever met my grandmother, when she said period, she Sorry, meant you had to know these things on the penalty of death. So, no problem. So because I'm here, that lets you know that I learned those things. Praise God. <laughs> But the thing that I remember most about the cooking dynamic that she taught me, she taught me, <clears throat> excuse me, two things about the cooking dynamic. The first thing she taught me is irrefutable laws in her kitchen. If you follow the directions, no matter how you feel, if you follow the directions, you can expect it to turn out just fine. And the second irrefutable law is, if you follow the if you follow the directions and did it in love, you could expect it to turn out even better. And I didn't understand that initially until I read these passages of scripture last night and it hit me like a ton of bricks. It says in verse 17, 
it illustrates to us there that the love of God is God's divine currency that's used to win us back through redemption. You all, I know, understand the premise of redemption. Y'all know you take the bottles and you get the bottles and you drink the stuff in the bottles and you take the bottles back and they give you a quarter per bottle or a nickel per bottle, whatever it was. When I was growing up, when I was little, my mom used to make sure she used to buy the eight packs of like the, the Coke or RC or whatever and we go to throw the bottle away and she'd be like, no, 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 don't throw that bottle away. I was a boy. I was a boy. I used to like busting the bottles and like cutting up stuff with them. That's what boys do. But catch this. She said, no, don't throw the bottles away because there's value in those bottles. As I got older and I started to understand the process of redemption and the process of recycling, I began to understand that the manufacturers of those bottles take those bottles, those bottles that people wanted to throw away, and they take them through a process of preparing them and re-sterilizing them and re-equipping them and repositioning them to be now refilled with something that is now more valuable to the company than remaking the vessel. There was nothing wrong with the vessel that they made the first time. The only issue that they have with the vessel is that the vessel that they have now is empty. So society deems it as useless. But if we put a little love into it and if we follow the recipe, we can expect to have the exact same thing the next time that we had the last time. Now, last time I checked, Coke and Pepsi and Royal Crown and Sprite and all the other soda manufacturers, they've not changed their recipe. So Madea's first irrefutable law is true. If you don't change the recipe, no matter how you feel, because I'm sure there were some days that the people pushing those buttons and flipping those levers may not have felt like being there. But the recipe for all those sodas haven't changed. So guess what? It still tastes the same today as it did the day that it was created. Which leads me to the second law that she said. That because the company understood the value of the vessels and because the company understood that it was less work and more valuable to them to get these vessels redeemed and restored to the point where they can be used again, they did whatever was necessary to get those vessels back. Even if it, if you, even if it meant they had to lose a few dollars here and there to get what was valuable to them back, they were willing to lose a little bit there to get back what was more valuable to them. Jesus was the little bit that God was willing to invest just for that moment because he knew that because I followed the right process, because I sent the right thing, because I made the right size investment, they might go straight here, there. They may go straight over there this way. But my word is still true that if we train up our children in the way that they should go when they're young, when they get old, they'll not depart from it. They've got to come back to it. That's why the word says when I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I, get, I, I put away what? Childish things. God loves you and I so much that he paid the redemption amount necessary to reclaim these vessels so that they can be brought back in and washed with the blood and, 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 and sealed with the Holy Spirit and, and refilled to be used by him. Who are we? to pop the top off it and pour out what's in us on the ground. Who are we to pop the top off of the essence of what God has placed in us and to pour it out before swine? Who are we to not let God be God in the midst of who we are? If I pull that in my grandmother's kitchen, I wouldn't have been here to see y'all. But my dear made sure that I understood that the reason why you have to understand these two irrefutable laws is because these two irrefutable laws are designed to impact something much 
greater than you. Because these things that I'm showing you, she went on to tell me, these things that I'm showing you are things that you bring into a relationship. So that when you meet someone and you two become one, you have some value that you bring into the table. Because love is about giving. But if you have nothing to give, you can't give what you don't have. God has given us everything that we need through salvation. Yet so many of us walk around crying broke. We have nothing to give. We have everything to give. We just have to realize that what we have to give, it's okay for us to give it. It's okay for us to pour ourselves out to the point where we feel we're empty. Jesus knows the recipe. They'll make more. God can refill us again. That's what prayer is for. That's what study is for. That's what fellowship is for. The principle of sowing and reaping works even in ministry. So, as a result, God uses us in situations that the world deems foolish to ultimately win souls for the kingdom with the expectation that his redemption will position us to be used to confound the wisdom of this world and to win souls for the kingdom. See what the look of love does? When you see two people, people that are in love, it makes you really stop. It makes you stop. And the first thing it does, <clears throat> no matter how mad you are, when you see two people that are walking down the street holding their hands and you can tell that they're in love, it makes you smile. It does. You can be ready to tear somebody's head off, but you gotta stop and smile. Two things I learned that make you smile. Babies and two pe and people that are genuinely love. You can't not smile at a baby. You can't. How can you not smile at a baby? You know why you smile at those two things? Because they're pure and because they're genuine. And because they're pure and they're genuine subconsciously, it taps into something in us that's that hope. That even in the midst of my plight and state of where I am, there's still an opportunity for me to have something like that in my life. It brings the perspective, the reality, that whatever I'm going through right now is only temporary. There's something better out there. There's something better for each and every one of us. Love is the avenue by which God desires us to claim what he has for us. Wouldn't it be great if every time we walk down the street, people would just stop and marvel at the love affair that we have with God through Jesus Christ? They see that we walking down the street and we, spiritually we're walking down the street hand in hand with Jesus and we're looking into one another's eyes and the world just stops. You know, it's just, it's just me and him. People see that. They smile at it because they realize that there's hope for them. There's hope for them because they want something like that. And if they want something like that, the Lord will, will stir up the boldness in some to come and ask you, how did you find what you have? That's your platform and your open door to minister to them and make a difference in their lives. God's look of love is brothers and sisters, children, his sons and daughters that are going to the homes of those who have need and blessing them. That are moving into the lives of those that are hurting and giving them a word of encouragement. That are tapping into the resources that he's blessed them with to bless others. That's the look of love that God is desiring to see. So when he sees us doing that, he begins to smile. And he realizes they're starting to get it now. They realize that there's something more to this life than just living and dying. They realize that their lives are for a much greater purpose than to take up oxygen and space on the world that I gave them. I've created them to make a difference. I've created them to perpetuate the truth that's been given. I've created them to put a living, breathing third dimension on what to date has been a two-dimensional proposition. 
We read the scripture, the, the, the preachers read the scripture, the congregation says amen to the scripture, and we all go home. God is saying he desires all of us to put flesh and blood to these words. Take these 25 words, live these 25 words, and watch what happens in the lives of others as we put life and action to the love that we've been given. Amen? Amen. We thank and praise God for the word that he's given us on today and we thank and praise God for all that he's continuing to do in our lives. I pray that you are blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. If by chance you've never taken the opportunity to do either one or both of those things, won't you take the opportunity now? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin. I ask you into my heart. I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want to welcome you to a life in Christ and a new life as a living witness for our Lord and Savior. Please email me and let me know of your experience and let me know your testimonies and how God is blessing you. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. Again, that's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.